mental health, neuroinflammation, trauma, unpacking complex puzzles. That's what we're talking about on today's show. Welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host. Today is show 334 and I've invited my friend Brendan Vermeer back onto the show to talk about neuroinflammation, mental health, and some of the things that he's he often shares, uh, really fantastic uh, circuit breakers of thought, really, if, especially if you're a clinician or a person working on your own personal uh, situation that might be a bit of a puzzle as it stands right now. Um, Brendan's an amazing cutter through the fog uh, to get to where we need to go when we have to investigate something tricky uh, when it comes to mental health and neuroinflammation. So he is the creator of the Mental Map uh, and has a fantastic practitioner course actually to support practitioners in up-leveling their skills when it comes to supporting more complex uh, mental health and neuroinflammation pictures, especially in the space where the environment has played a, a, a factor, whether that be trauma, whether that be mold. And we talk about a few of the different scenarios today. Brendan has been at this. It almost feels like he literally jumped out of the womb and into helping people uh, as a spring chicken teenager when he was a personal trainer. He just had this passion for helping people work on becoming the best version of themselves. That often starts for, with the personal trainer, with the purely physical uh, and aesthetic aspect, but for Brendan it grew broad very quickly uh, and he learned a lot from his own trials and tribulations and I think that makes for some of the most authentic educators uh, that there are when they have trodden the path that you are now uh, uh, you know, trying to make your way through and, and make your way forward. Uh, and so, um, I'm going to include in the show notes, a link to some of the resources he has, because while we talk about programs and testing and all those sorts of things in the mix, he has a ton of very generous free resources. Uh, and basically it's, um, link tr.ee forward slash holistic underscore savage. Uh, and I'll put that link in the show notes as well, but you have a neuroinflammation guide in there, gut brain access guide, mold illness guide, methylation guide, all free for you to read. There's a fantastic neuroinflammation seminar that you can download, uh, as well as then getting access to some of his, uh, tools. So he has big, big goals. He has a fantastic, uh, metabolic solutions Institute for functional health and fitness practitioners, uh, and he is passionate about research. So he's a health scientist and researcher and uh, research is a huge part of the work they do. He calls his foundation, the Metabolic Solutions Research and Education Foundation. So it's a not-for-profit foundation dedicated to changing the way the world views mental health. 
uh, and I'm so grateful he's doing that work. So I'll tune into that conversation in a little second. Uh, But first, I just want to share that uh, I have absolutely loved seeing an influx of five-star reviews lately. Thank you for taking the time to share a a sentence or two or even just click the five-star. I appreciate it so much. And Uh, There was kind of a lull for a bit there, but when you're speaking out into the void, like I'm literally here in my kitchen at the table, working away alone, and when someone pops a little review or shares a little something about a show that really meant something to them on Instagram and tags me or one of the show guests, oh my gosh, it honestly makes your day as a podcaster, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do that. It also helps other people discover the show, which I greatly appreciate because little shows become big shows that way. And uh, and I just love how many people we're able to reach these days with all the different aspects of leading a low-tox life. Uh, personal health being a huge part of that. So also uh, our wonderful sponsors help us make that possible, but they also help make your low-tox swaps possible. And I'm going to share a personal story about uh, one of the products I've recently added to our fold, uh, another four-stage HEPA air filter, air purifier from the Winix range from our major sponsor, Oz Climate. Now, a reminder, you get 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE, uh, your order. And the reason I've added this into the fold is because a few months ago, we decided we would clean uh, the house ourselves um, it's a small apartment. We thought, oh, we can do this. Uh, and <laughs> we had had our beautiful cleaner, Wilsa, come fortnightly for years, but she moved to Melbourne. And I just, I thought, no, we're saving up for a holiday right now. This is a good time for us to do it ourselves. Did I continue to change my son's sheets every single week? No, I did not. Every two weeks, maybe sometimes every three weeks. Guilty. Um, but what it eventually uncovered, my lazy, uh, when, yeah, you know, he's 13, so we've now got him doing a, a major part of that work. Um, but that laziness uncovered a, a dust mite allergy. He started sounding super snuffly, sneezing all the time. And I felt awful. You know, now we've got the covers, the special, you know, cotton covers. I'm vacuuming twice a week in there. We've added the air filter. Lo and behold, the allergies no longer are presenting. And uh, and so, um, yeah, the little four-stage air purifier is fantastic. It's HEPA grade. Uh, it's a lot more powerful than some of those pretty little Instagram filters you see selling direct to consumer these days, which when you look under the hood, you often find out they're only two or three stage, sometimes HEPA, sometimes not. Uh, you really want four stage minimum if you want performance, especially if someone's got an allergy in the house or you live in a, a heavily urban area. Uh, really, really important. So thank you to Oz Climate our major sponsor and uh, enjoy using that code whenever it comes time to do so. Our second sponsor for this first half of the month is Metagenics. And I love this brand. It is a practitioner only supplement brand. A lot of people think, well, why do I have to go to a practitioner if it's just herbs and vitamins? And often over the counter, often, especially super cheap, Uh, herbs and vitamins uh, and other like blends like a liver blend or you know these kinds of things that we see 
with the best of intentions, and sometimes they work, but often they're subclinical grade, so you're not getting a, a necessarily a big therapeutic benefit from them in the way that you could if you worked with a trained health professional. Uh, and then you also have issues around transparency. So Metagenics has a $40 million purpose-built manufacturing and testing facility, right? Uh, so this is a state-of-the-art facility that allows them to process uh, their uh, herbs and nutrients without the use of excess heat, moisture, compaction, the storage of raw materials, and the finished product is vitally important so that things like fungi and other bacteria don't grow on the supplements uh, or the raw materials, uh, and a lot of natural medicines are damaged or destroyed if you store them in over 25 degrees Celsius temperatures. So if you think about some of the big Amazon warehouses in deserts and things um, and things sitting on shelves for months on end with very little temperature control, uh, that can really damage your supplements. So it is important where you get them from. And if you need them for a, a medical reason uh, to, to treat something right now, to really give you a significant boost in something you're deficient in, the things you're getting over the counter might not necessarily be of a therapeutic value in terms of their dosage. And frankly, you really don't want to start playing in that space uh, without checking in with a practitioner. Uh, yes, I buy some of my supplements uh, online um, without uh, going through my practitioner every time. But if I'm working on something big, then I definitely am working off the basis of testing and results matching up with my symptoms and current situation, and I'm using practitioner grade and Metagenics is a fantastic brand. So if that's not something you've come across before, uh, or if you're a practitioner who is wanting to support your clients and patients in the best way possible, I definitely encourage you to check out their amazing education resources on the website. They hold conferences and support their practitioner community always learning, always up-leveling to be able to help people with their health goals in the most up-to-date way possible. So thank you to Metagenics for being here and a sponsor. That's it from me, folks. Let's talk neuroinflammation and mental health. Uh, this is a show with twists and turns uh, and some fantastic revelations. So I hope you enjoy it. Brandon, hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Alex? Good to see you again. Yeah, I'm great. I'm so excited to have another conversation with you because uh, often on the podcast, I feel like an hour with great people is never enough. It's quite a selfish way I have of catching up with the people. I really love what they do online as well, as I'm sure it is for you. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. We, you know, I was anticipating this a lot because I'm still like mind blown from the last conversation <laughs> we had. And it was a know, good one. Yeah, we just, we flow. Like you mm. get, I see you. Uh, you see me, we get it. So it just, it just flows and same, you know, I, I love having the professional excuse to get to collaborate and talk to just really, really quality people in the audience, you know, gets to benefit from that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was thinking, you know, there are so many things I want to go into today that have caught my eye on your feed that you talk about and support clients and practitioners with now, of course, as well. Um, but I'd love to ask you, because of everything, I mean, you spend hours looking for the most cutting edge, the most obscure links to to start piecing things together to get chronic patients well. What's the most 
exciting clarity you've gained lately where you've gone, aha, that fits with that. And this is because we all have those moments, whether it's for a very personal health exploration, as you call them, a self-healer, or whether it's a doctor who's had like a group of patients in front of them, you know, and they've finally figured out a way to support them and everyone in between. What's it been for you lately? Uh, intense and crazy, to be honest, you know, having a, a, a platform that's dedicated to mental health and especially the approach that I take, which in a lot of ways is, you know, very much like a functional medicine, holistic approach to mental health. And, and so in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a new paradigm, but it's based on paradigms that are already established. I'm just weaving things together in a way that people clearly haven't seen. And I don't know that they're ready for if I'm being candid. And so I have to be extremely methodical and strategic with the wording and the layering to effectively communicate in something like Nicola Pear and I have talked about this a lot because obviously she's the queen of communicating. Like you look at her content and above all else, it's like this is so well communicated in a way that the masses, the collective can receive in a way that's not going to like set off their nervous systems and cause them to close off and lean away and project and retaliate. And it's, I find it difficult to do. How do you deliver, you know, a punchline that people need here without, you know, being polarizing? We don't want to sensationalize. I try to keep my content very evidence-based, you know, and then of course you get people like crying about like, where's the research? And it's like, well, maybe if you were up to date on the research and read the research, you wouldn't be asking that question. And it becomes this whole thing. So it gets, um, really tricky. You know, I've had to really optimize my communication skills and ultimately like, what is it that I'm trying to convey and connect? But I think where it gets blurry is just like the interface of psychology and physiology, which obviously I talk about constantly. And that's what the brain yin yang thing represents. And yet I still have to kind of explain it because otherwise people don't get it. And they're like, well, you're saying you can just chase root causes. And it's like, no, no. Or then like, oh, well, So I don't think that people get it. And so this is where I like to clarify on on podcasts, you know, my field of research and study and practice and teaching is psychoneuroendocrine immunometabolomics, which is this huge mouthful. But it's really just looking at that overlap of where the psychology, the neurology, the endocrinology, the immunology, uh, the metabolics, the genomics, and how all of that influences one another, you know, all these different systems Uh, fields of study that are historically separated, but now is its own field of study. So it integrates things I think people are not used to thinking about. So for example, to bring some tangibility and specificity to this ambiguity and kind of cryptic, what the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Like this morning, uh, my rabbit hole research thing I was doing this morning was pulling a lot of citations. I collect citations like trophies or something, you know, Um, and the specific topic this morning was, uh, neuroinflammation induced by maternal separation, right? So there's tons of mostly rat research and then human observational data that's looking at how like, Hey, when you take like a baby rat and you separate it from that nurturing maternal energy and physiology and whatever's going on there, it induces a change in the neuroendocrine immunology of the baby rat in a way that's negative and increases inflammation and immune activation in the little baby rat brain that then later causes anxiety-like behavior and depressive-like behavior. And then the human observational data parallels the findings of the murin models, 
So then I'm trying to communicate that in a way that people can comprehend of like, hey, like if you were abandoned by your mother as a kid, which is hilarious, my therapist would say that's hilarious for me. Um, but it causes changes in the actual physiology and cellular behavior that then presents as anxiety and depression later in life. So it's like, isn't that an exciting thing that then we can use, you know, with working with clients and patients and unraveling their traumas and their, their conditionings and understanding it's not just psychology or a shitty outlook on life. Like there's a tangible, you know, cellular science going on here. And that's exciting because then it's like, what do we do about it? Exactly. And that moment that someone feels like they've finally been seen and heard for a part of them that they've denied or not even known, maybe it happened too young. And then you're sitting there going, I'm not like this because I made myself this way, you know, and that can just be such a healing moment in itself for a person. Yeah, you're yeah. extremely perceptive and empathetic to just immediately, you know, see that. And so like you see that value in the in the work that I'm doing, but I digress of like trying to communicate that exciting science and evidence and yeah. research There's in so a way much behind that empowers yeah. people. Yeah. And of course, depending on how you say it, you know, you're you're touching or I guess I'm touching on subjects that can be shame points and tender points and trauma points or you know, with the art of coaching in itself, like functional medicine, it's not about a protocol. It's all about the behavior modification. How do you inspire or motivate? Uh, how do you induce the desire and the discipline and whatever to have somebody wants to do that work? You know, our nervous systems are programmed to like, oh, that feels uncomfortable. Let me attack it or yeah. run from it or freeze. Right? Oh, well, so, hello. That's what a lot of the world is doing right now on a whole bunch of subjects. Absolutely. And that's not how you move forward. You move forward and you've used the word already in overlaps. And I love that you've used that word to link several systems because for me, that takes us away from this, uh, uh, what is the word? Obsession with root cause protocol, root cause finding, like, what is it? What's the one thing? It's like, well, every system gets affected by these things that we collect in our life soups. And um, it's about a healing would, would therefore naturally come from focusing on how those systems overlap. Um, because, you know, you could fight chicken and the chicken or the egg forever um, about what comes first. And then you've still got a really sick person there. Yeah, it's that holistic and integrative approach that we're trying to convey and communicate and educate and empower in a world that is heavily conditioned and trained and taught and seduced by really great marketing, you know, to just consume, consume, consume of like, okay, what's the pill for the ill? And then the functional model kind of replicates that same sort of business model of like, okay, well, now let's find that one root cause and then throw, you know, 20 supplements at it instead of that one medication from your doctor, five medications, right? The pill for the ill mindset, the instant gratification, the, um, I think there's a lot of spiritual bypassing that's going on where, and it's at a subconscious level, I think for a lot of people, you know, and they don't realize that some of that kind of neurotic, like, well, what is the root cause that I can just throw a fancy protocol at. And then I don't have to change anything. I don't have to face anything uncomfortable. I don't have to de develop any self-awareness. I don't have to change my lifestyle or, 
do any of that work because I just I found that one root cause and I have the silver bullet for it. And that's the misleading nature of functional medicine. And I think any integral functional medicine practitioner would obviously then reflect the truth, which is what we're supposed to do is be mirrors of truth and use data and science and evidence to validate it. But like, let's be more aware of your psychology, your belief systems about this process. So we're, we're not enabling any of those self-limiting behaviors or beliefs. And that's, that's a hard it. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And I saw you recently posted a, a tile that says root cause investigation can be a trauma response. Unpack that. Yeah. I mean, essentially that's that, that, <laughs> so I should tell the backstory of like yes, what inspired please. that post yeah. because, you know, very well performing post, which was great because, you know, I post all this technical stuff and nobody cares, but then, you know, <laughs> that, that got their attention. I love those little, <laughs> I love those little biochemistry maps just for the record. I think they're I very see- good. Thank you, Alex. This is why we're friends. Like I like them too. I like making them. But I we're like nerds. Like them. we are bona fide nerds. Not everybody yeah, we, goes for the the full nerd experience. I get it. We we enjoy the science. You know, the funny thing is, even my professional practitioner students in the FMHP program, we collected a bunch of feedback. Overall, everybody loves like the science. That it's the overwhelming feedback is they love the rigor of science in my program, but it's so much that the common feedback is like, maybe less is more. I feel like I'm drowning. It's, it's almost like too intense, too much science. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, those are my practitioners that say that. So then trying to communicate on Instagram makes me want to slam my head into a wall sometimes, but that post, I thought I nailed it. And some people didn't like it and that's fine. It's not for everybody, but I think if they knew the story behind the post, they, you know, might be a little bit more open to it because essentially, and I'm going to keep it fully anonymous out of respect, but you know, there, there have been clients I've had, and there's one specific in mind that I love to death. And we, we, as in my business, my team, my, my company and myself, um, we've had this whole team effort to serve this person for like two and a half years. And one of the coaches, her main coach that I had her working with and myself, we got to the point that we agreed we need to restrict this client's ability to run lab testing through us because, you know, lab testing is supposed to be our clinical tool to objectively monitor progress, navigate their dysfunctional physiology, and more effectively coach them towards their health goals. Like it's a tool for us to serve them. And this particular client had kind of like taken that tool out of our hands and was using it as a weapon to hurt herself in a trauma response way. Because she was so constantly like looking for more root causes, looking for more things wrong with me. And if I told all the backstory and all the, you know, psychology, like it's very clearly this, you know, identifying with being chronically ill probably gives a sense of purpose, um, you know, related to trauma in youth, unresolved trauma that's causing these dysfunctional behavioral patterns. But this sort of neurotic behavior hurting her in a very obvious way and also hurting some of her closest relationships in life. And if I, you know, if I went more into, I can't cause keep it anonymous, but like, it's a very powerful illustration of exactly what my point is, you know, and I'm seeing more and more of that. And I'm seeing more and more people, you know, getting burnout, chasing these root cause rabbit holes. And it's like, 
you know, when people are bleeding their bank accounts dry and then not getting results or then using the per using experimental testing, using a lot of functional lab tests that don't actually have established clinical significance mm, and then taking there are a lot on. of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, this test shows I have parasites in my tum tum and that's going to make me unhealthy or something. Testing for the, or pee in a cup, how many mycotoxins did you pee out? Or, you know, so now you have leaky gut, you have MCAS, you have mold illness, you have dysbiosis, you have parasites. And it's like, well, yeah, everybody does, but this is a physiology that's in flux. And the thing that's missing in functional medicine is using all these tests to test for the presence of something that might be hurting the body, but they're not always effectively assessing the physiology of like, but is the body showing signs of damage being done at a physiological level? Because the presence of something that could be bad you know, it's kind of like if you had high COVID antibodies, that doesn't mean you have an active COVID infection, right? Like presence doesn't equal disease. And so when there's too much of that kind of over-consuming of experimental data that then reinforces this belief that like, oh my God, I have so many things wrong with me and now I got to do all the protocols and everything I'm doing is wrong and I'm going to die. It becomes destructive psychologically. Yeah. And uh, to come straight back to the very first thing you were saying about what you focus on, list the systems, psycho, what psycho, was it? Psycho, endocrine, immunology, uh, and then like metabolomics, psycho, mm -hmm. immuno, metabolomics. Yeah. Because <laughs> in my experience, uh, having experienced a chronic illness journey of epic proportions, uh, what I learned is rather than root cause baddies, it's often much better to work on, okay, systems that need support so that they can do their job against the baddies better. Uh, you know, cellular wellness, as the beautiful Dr. Bill Rawls talks about. Um, you know, these focuses where we focus on system healing rather than chasing baddies seems a lot more uh effective in the long term because then you're better against lots of different types of baddies that come your way because you know it's 2023 we can't avoid them um like i say low tox not no tox uh and uh and and perhaps that actually goes against i'm thinking of even charles eisenstein's philosophical essays here when i think about um us being in a caught in a fight dynamic in a war dynamic especially in Anglo-Saxon culture, there's a baddie, we've got to get it, then we're fighting, then who's going to win? And like, that doesn't actually lead us to peace. Uh, it leads us to basically stalemates for a few decades at best, as we've seen, you know, if you apply history. So if we then apply that to health, it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, you chase the baddie, and you haven't addressed the system that's weak that caused the baddie to have the same effect that it had in the first place, then you might have a stalemate for a little bit, but then you're just going to get sick again. Am I right in kind of distilling everything we just talked about <laughs> and, and kind of turning it into something that we could, like something, yeah. oh, okay, right, I get it. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was pretty eloquent and profound. Like you just, you know, expanded the conversation a lot. It, because I think you're spot on. It's like there's 
sociological ramifications to that, right? Like you look at the sociological polarization with COVID and it was this, well, there's a baddie that is this, you know, man-made, you know, virus that somehow mysteriously just like swept across the planet. And then like, well, how do we collectively feel about it? Let's divide into our factions and camps. And like, we have this, this baddie, there's a lot going on there. And that ideology, you know, with what we're talking about on, okay, you find all these baddies in your body, but like with COVID, for example, it's like, okay, so is it that the focus is there's a baddie virus that we should all be afraid of, or is it more like an invitation of how do I build up my metabolic and immunological resilience against the baddie, right? And it took how many years, like over two years before the American government and media admitted you know, things about like actually natural acquired immunity is pretty great. And, uh, you know, if you are overweight or metabolically ill and compromised, like you are at risk of more severe COVID illness and infection, right? So shouldn't there be some emphasis on that? How do we improve our system, you know, function of the systems? So we're more resilient, right? Like, why are we so mistrusting of our own innate physiology? And it's like, well, if I had an done everything in my power to harness, you know, and cultivate the power of my innate immunity and my innate, uh, you know, vital reserve, if you will, right? My, my metabolic and immunological resilience forged through eons of evolutionary biology. Like, okay, if I haven't been taking care of myself and whatever, then yeah, I probably wouldn't trust that my body can handle the thing. And I might, you know, behave differently, but I just, I think what you said is, is really profound in general, because there is that, I think a lot of people like, they like conflict, you know, I think conflict can give people a sense of purpose, uh, a sense of community, a sense of belonging, a sense of self. Like if your sense of self is, I stand for this and I am against that. And now I have a, a, a perceived threat that I'm choosing to believe is a viable threat. And now I have something to do. Because like translating back to our first conversation, you know, you said it and you were like, so if we're not struggling to survive, we inadvertently struggle to live, right? And it's like, when you have this super cush uh, reality that we're in now, we need something to do. And so I think at a subconscious level and maybe a trauma response level, there is that sort of, a lot of people are looking for something to do. And even if maybe they're participating in, self-limiting or self-destructive or something, but at least it, it provides them a form of entertainment or something to do, a sense of purpose, community, for example, and then I'll shut up. My parents, my parents live out in this, you know, bougie neighborhood locally and um, my dad had retired. So they, they decided to get involved with the HOA. Long story short, it was the most- What is the HOA for us the, Aussies? the the homeowners association right okay. so this is like interesting you're, you're, <laughs> it's, it's not a thing uh it's it's a thing <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a hilarious thing yeah so what do know, the people just, do there what they get they get together and what do they do yeah it's like if you live in like a rich neighborhood you know there's like a board and there's ah. all these people it's like politics at a neighborhood level right wow you know there's okay. like the president and the Kinda board like the, and the pta you know. but for like the street <laughs> yeah for okay. like your, your bougie privileged neighborhood you know and I'm, I'm not trying to like roast uh, if my parents ever hear i'm this, sure they're not gonna they don't pay to attention show. to my work yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know i love them to death but it was funny and 
it was not funny because it was such a toxic thing that they got involved with. Now, to be fair, they they did it for like a couple of years and now they're out because too toxic and even they hit a limit. But just like the thing that I witnessed through that, where they weren't very much participating in my life or my sister's life, even like, oh, I started a research foundation, but like, that's not interesting. But participating in this toxic HOA bullshit. Yeah, that's but did you know Jenny too. from number 44 has done this, right. that and whatever? Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. You but know, they made so, their world really small. Yeah. So I, I, there's something to that, right? There's, I think there's a psychology of at the end of the day, there are things I think we choose to participate in, even though they're not healthy for us. And at a subconscious level, we're just entertaining ourselves, you know, but are we able to recognize that and admit it? Because otherwise, like what, just sit around and contemplate your own sentience forever. Mm, yeah. Most I people don't want to live that way. They'd rather drown and distract in pleasure or even, you know, conflicts, right? Which, which is what the point was, is conflicts. You know, people, I think, seek out conflict more than they maybe recognize at times. Mm, so true. Yeah. Wow. That is profound. And I'm glad your parents got out of there. And I, <laughs> I, hope, I hope they're more interested in what you and your sister are up to now these days. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. My sister and I talk about it like every day, like, nope, still nothing on your ends. Me neither. Like, but at least they're out of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is, uh, that's so, so funny. I did not know that there was such a thing as a homeowners association. Maybe we've got them here as well. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, I hope not for the sake of the human consciousness, but. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it speaks exactly to what we've been talking about, right? These, the, the silos we put ourselves in, the little fight dynamics we create and yeah, mm. maybe how sad is that, that it, in the end, you have to admit it was just kind of something to do or a form of entertainment and. Yeah. How much better if we actually spent that energy on useful things. Wow. Look at people's behavior on social media. Like we were Mm. talking about before some of these people, you know, we call, we all call them trolls. And like, how is it that troll became like trolling behavior? Like we all just like, oh yeah, the trolls. And it's like, we even have a word for it because it's become that profound of a human phenomenon. Shouldn't we all be like, I don't know, a little embarrassed or ashamed. Like this is what we've de-evolved to, that there's a whole faction of people. They're just like rude and arrogant and combative and, you know, like. And how sad is that for them? Absolutely. I always then, think about you know, them and I think, <laughs> really, this is this is what you're here to do today. And right. what what is. <laughs> That's what felt I'm good such a coach. as a way to spend your time. I'm such a you know? coach because I literally want to reach out and say, what's going on for you? And I genuinely do. Like, I feel sad that this is where their life has arrived and there must be reasons. Um, well, I'm I'm wildly curious while also feeling very intolerant because it's like, just be more decent. You know, they're, they're something I worry about with our society. And I think we saw this on, on fleek with COVID is like, I think we as a collective can and should hold ourselves to just a higher standard of societal decency, you know, like I, for example, you know, in America, like I look at the presidential stuff. I'm like, really, this is what it's, it's turned into is just this like clown show. These are the options. The the most powerful men in the world. It's just this clown show, just like people hurling abuse. Oh my God. Yeah. Like American politics makes me embarrassed. It's atrocious. 
like what happened you. think about <laughs> yeah, you should be thank you think about like george washington or abraham lincoln like those guys were badasses they stood for something they were strong integral men of like honor and discipline and and you know whatever where is that like healthy masculinity energy being like represented anymore mm. and then you know healthy female energy barely gets a look in and it gets kind of like, oh, no, go back to your little sweet little committees, sweetheart. Like, that's still a thing for you guys, which is, you know, and it is for us here to a certain extent. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, let's not go there. But it, yeah. brings, up something, <laughs> it brings up something interesting, though, that I want to talk about because we kind of touched on it with the, the trolls, that sense of holding yourself to a, a, a higher standard. And that's an N equals one. We can all do that. When it comes to health, there is a line to dance between personal responsibility and genuinely needing to be taken care for, care of. And there is the group of bad luck, like the people who really do do everything great, even with COVID, you know, people who were living great, healthy, one would sort of look from the outside and say, wow, you really were metabolically healthy. That sucks that you got such a bad case or that that person died. Um, and it happens in all sorts of different diseases where people really do do their best. So there's a sensitivity then between that personal responsibility and the genuinely needing taken care of and the compassion, I guess, is another category of, well, gee, that just sucks. Um, and, and, and then how, like, where do you see the, the lines we draw, how do you distinguish them? How do you help people find where that line is for them? Because, you know, I look at, okay, I'm just going to sidestep for a second before um, I get you to, to chat. I look at me having an ADHD diagnosis recently. Now to get one as an adult, it is an extremely rigorous process. Reason I wanted one was not for 47 year old me so much as for 16 year old me, seven year old me. That the you know the girl who had the the homework with the ripped paper because I had rubbed it out so much because it was messy and I just kept getting it wrong held in front of the whole class and shamed for what not to do with your homework at the age of eight and the amount of times I was cursed for forgetting things or da 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 instead of celebrated for my amazing uh, ninja mind when it comes to puzzles and pattern recognition and all of those great things now ADHD has this part of the brain that is for me quite fixed like I meet the people I know you're one of them and there's a part of us that is like that's just us and that's an amazing ADHD brain and then there are parts that fluctuate depending on your lifestyle factors and and so there's a personal responsibility aspect then for me to ADHD where I have to make sure I have a high protein breakfast I have to make sure I get a good, big, solid, long walk and some strong cardio in over the week. Just doing weights would not be enough for me to get that dopamine going through my body. I need both. And, and so my personal responsibility is holding myself to those, but also not then being super ashamed anymore of some of the shit that I'm just never going to be badass at. Like, it's just not me to go, oh, I've got three hours and I can just neatly in that three hours do this, that, and then move <laughs> on to that. 
it's yeah. never going to be the way my brain's going to go. I want to change the world. And I can do that in half an hour, no problems. And then the crash when you realize you can't. That's just going to be a part of me, you know, and I, I now know myself better to ride those waves. So the reason I bring that up is because I feel like in health, you can get labels, yes, and there can be parts of labels that you need to start working with and accepting. And then there are other parts that are fluctuating parts attached to that label that are not necessarily stagnant, that you can influence massively. Genetics is a great example of that, right? Uh, you know, yes, that gene, yeah, I mean, we know statistically that that kind of sucks to have that one. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> but here epigenetically is the fluctuation of all the things that you can do to give yourself the best chance with this knowledge. So I guess I sidestepped there because I got a bit of a clarity moment on it. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think about that. Cause in chronic illness, in mental health, especially in mental health, Hey, you have a lot of fragility. Like there is a higher risk that something could tip someone over the edge and, and really make things bad for them if we don't handle things in, um, in such a way that helps empower them, even in a teeny tiny baby step. What does that look like uh, in your research and then in how you teach people um, to support people on mental health uh, journeys with challenges? I mean, honestly, Alex, that was an extremely powerful and, and profound uh, story that you shared in, in Testament because, I mean, one, I can relate a lot. I think we have a lot of uh, similar things. We both have ADHD, for example, and the way you put that of it's not uh, for your adult self, it's for your child self that like would have been nice to know that so I didn't just feel like a piece of shit, you know, and like I can I can obviously relate to that myself. You described it perfectly. Like I'm the same way you know, like my big thing is building this FMHP program because of that magical ADD, ADHD brain. What I'm producing is uh, it's amazing, but it's so dense and it's <laughs> such an arduous process. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Just trying to like, like you said, I can, I can think of how I'm going to change the world in half an hour, but like, yeah, sitting, if I have a three hour window, I can't get any slides cranked out in that time. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So like that brain is really great for research and understanding how all these things are connected and, and whatever, but yeah, that like follow through, you know, so it's tough. And that's where having that diagnostic label, it can be, it can become a self-limiting label and a self-limiting belief system, or it could be a very empowering one. It's all up to the self on, you know, which way, like, oh, what was But me? also the practitioner though, right? Right. Yeah, because, same thing. Yeah, I've I've had doctors where you get given something and it feels like you've been given a heavy weight. And then other practitioners where you get given something and it feels like an exciting step forward, even if it's the worst news you ever got. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of opens a dialogue on like the philosophy of the art of diagnosis, right? You know, and, and the the model of, of medicine and how do we make it better because we need specificity of like, Hey, this person has this and we have a standard of treatment that has an efficacy. That's good enough that we're keeping with that model of that's how we operate. Especially right? in the SOS mode, like the initial phase where you're like, okay, long game plan can be made, but 
here's the short game plan to get you through. Yeah, it's important. It's necessary. You know, the conventional model has amazing structure and data and rigorous research. The functional model has the concepts, but not the structure, not the the established efficacy. We don't even, the functional medicine does, industry doesn't have data to prove that like as an industry, we're super efficacious, like, but we need that in order to, to be legitimate and change the world and change healthcare kind of thing. Right. But, you know, back to your point of like, how do we empower and educate people? Because what you described, like, is my whole platform and business model and why it's structured the way it is. Where for one thing, this is why my everything that I do centers around neuroinflammation, more so microglial activation. And so like neuroplasticity, neuroinflammation, but everything that I do ultimately centers around that. And it's all about what influences that. So as like a joke that I'll probably post at some point of like reason 5,938, why you shouldn't take anything personally, like, because most people have neuroinflammation, chronic meta levels of neuroinflammation, which does drive mental health dysfunction and more volatile. Like it's hard to think straight when your brain's on fire. It's hard to feel focused or motivated when your brain's on fire. It's hard to feel happy when your brain's on fire. It's hard to get a good night's sleep. It's hard to be reasonable, right? So when we talk about these trolls, what runs through my mind is like, I'm not going to take these critics or trolls. Like I'm not going to take that personally. It says more about them than me, as you said, and I bet these people have more neuroinflammation. And so their behaviors, you know, I can kind of be a little, and it's like, it's my compassion that has me doing all of this, right? Like it, like compassion is what gets me out of bed. So it's like, there's, I've built my business to try to do the best that I can to educate and empower people with that, where it's like, Hey, there's all the free content I post every single day. There's the vast library of free resources. We just started a, a not-for-profit research foundation where we're going to be serving people for free in exchange for their data. You know, and then we have obviously monetary like client services and whatever. So it's like we do everything we can to serve people. But to your point, there's that personal responsibility and accountability, the two-way street to water kind of thing. Because it's like, oh man, I don't know. It's a huge subject. People it's need a, help. Yeah. And, and you just touched on it then. It's a two-way street. And I think one of the most powerful things you can do, you know, my young teenager is learning this in the new dynamic you have when you're in high school with teachers. It becomes a two-way street. You don't have like your mother figure, father figure, caring primary school teacher anymore. You, ha- you are in and out of classrooms. You're in and out of different teachers. And now you have to prove that you are a worthy person in the partnership of education where you show up and do your best and ask questions and stay curious and do the work. And then the teacher does their best to help show you all the ways that a problem exists in the world, how different people are exploring it and, uh, and teaches you enough that you might be able to write an essay, make a point and back it up. And, uh, and I think it's the same in health, right? It's about defining, okay, what's the two way street here? What do you need me to do? And what do I need from you as a doctor, naturopath, functional medicine practitioner, whatever, whoever you're seeing, uh, and it's got to work and you both got to work and it's, and, and it has to feel like it's moving forward in the best way. Once a, a personal trainer once said to me, are you happy with the results you're getting for the work you're putting in? 
And I thought that was one of the most powerful, uh, you know, uh, moments, very well worded question, because we can ask ourselves that right now. Like, oh, I keep going to my practitioner every month and yeah, actually I haven't felt better for a couple of years now, bit of a plateau. So what's wrong there? You know, who's not doing the right work? Is it you? Is it them? Uh, do you need a different, a fresh pair of eyes? Like these are all the questions we need to ask ourselves on these journeys. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me think of like the evolution of my career where something that um, I take a lot of pride in with like our, our practice and, and the way that we serve clients, uh, the structure, the structure of the programs that we offer, because I can say, you know, with all humility, um, there is no worse feeling as a health professional than not being able to prove like the efficacy and the results that you're helping this person get. Right. So like, it makes me think of like the beginning of my career, personal trainer, nutrition coach, I wasn't really tracking data as like religiously as I should have. Right. And, you know, to your point, cause that's a neurolimbic thing. If our neurolimbic system isn't getting the sensation of reward for the expended energy and effort and resources, our brain evolutionarily is going to be like, I'm going to discourage this thing that you're trying to do because it's not getting us closer to what we think we want. So why would I neurologically reinforce this silly behavior? Why would I restrict my calories and go bust my ass in the gym if I'm not losing weight, right? Like that's a neurolimbic phenomenon. So it's like, well, but then you have to disentangle that because what if the problem is you're expecting a different outcome than is, is realistic? Like the expectations have to be realistic and the data has to be sensitive to the goal. So like, you know, body weight is a horrible metric of, of health, body fat percentage better, you know, VO2 better, you know, blood chemistry better, right? So that's how I got into lab testing in general was I need to track your physiology. Like if you're you know, diabetic and overweight, like I bet, you know, your, your insulin levels, your triglycerides, your liver enzymes, your leptin levels, like all of that's probably going to go down before your body weight. So a big part of what I try to educate people on is how to use the right data to track throughout their health journey. Go do whatever the hell you want. Like if you want to sit in cold water or howl out the moon for vagal tone or trip on ayahuasca or take uh, you know, semaglutide, you know, is the miracle drug or do this carnivore diet, whatever intervention resonates with you that you feel good about. Like I am using this vehicle, this tool, this thing to help me reach my goals. But are you being objective? Are you tracking the right sensitive data? So then you can tell, is this serving me or not over time? And so with the services that we offer through my business, we have that structure. We're huge on the data tracking. And so that's part of it. Like, let's say we have a client that isn't holding up their end of the deal and they're not really doing the work and they're not holding themselves accountable. We even track like custom health trackers on a day-to-day -day basis of like, you know, how many steps did you take today? How much water did you drink? If we can't even get them to submit that data, they're not even following the instructions of logging their data. We don't even have the data to be able to show them that their compliance isn't good enough to be getting results. You're not even doing the bare minimum needed so we can prove to you that you're not doing your job. Yeah. So how do we help you two -way overcome street. that? Yeah. Right. So it, if the practitioner, the coach, whatever you are, I think structure is, is very, very important because if you have the structure in place, then you have evidence and grounds to stand on to more effectively coach. 
that individual through their own self-limiting obstacles and behaviors. But at some point, at some point, the client has to do their end of the work. They've got to get with the program and it's for their sake, right? So there's only so much we can do. I think there's a lot that we can do to help them navigate this. It's kind of like a therapist that's reflecting your blind spots back to you. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't even know I had that blind spot because it's a blind spot. Thank you for reflecting that to me. But the difference between a therapist and a coach is a therapist is going to be a little bit more of an empathetic, like soundboard and just kind of reflect. A coach is going to be like, okay, or a professor, where's your, your, your paper, like your, your thesis or your, your report is due today. Like, you know, there's deadlines, there's timelines, there's a structure to earn that letter grade and earn that PhD or earn, earn your health results through a regimen. Mm, absolutely. That's huge. And, and then, so does the accountability piece when it comes down to the person, not even submitting, like say that how much water they drank as an example, um, does this then become a, well, okay. So there's work that actually needs to be done in this area first before we can even do anything in this more practical sense. Like yeah, I mean, the mind. Mm. Yeah. It, it shows a lot, right. You know, for example, every, there's a lot of, at least the people that I attract, you know, I'm, I'm biased because of the people I engage with based on who comes to me, but so whatever it is that I'm attracting. Um, but you know, we have no problem selling lab testing or selling supplements. People want to buy data that is about their unique physiology and health. They want to buy lab testing. They want to buy the supplements that are going to make it all better. But even just getting them to take all the supplements regular, regularly and then track their data of which ones they're taking and at what dose, that can be really overwhelming and hard. And it's like, that's the thing that like was the hook that got them to sign up for the program, but they're having a hard time doing that. So I think that's a point, for example, that invites them to sit with a little bit of humility and get to know humility that might be a foreign friend to them. And all of a sudden they're met with reality and truth and data that reflects, you know, what they might perceive as like shameful shortcomings, but as we as coaches and practitioners see as healing opportunities that we're very excited to help you navigate. So where would you like to begin? Right. Yeah. So true. Cause a person might not be handing in their data because they're literally living in a self-limiting belief, looking constantly for confirmation that they're not enough. They suck. They're hopeless. They don't know. I'll see, you know, I can't even hand in my water results for the day. And, you know, um, and I've got all these roots mm. messing me up and whatever, which is also where like part of my like angle is like, Hey, it's not just a character fault. It's nothing you should be ashamed of. It's not just like you're, you're broken and damaged. Part of it. That's really nice is if we can show like, we have elevated inflammation and neuroinflammation and leaky brain. So it's almost like I see it as low hanging fruit of what can we deal with? For example, the compliance and the psychology and the, the thinking, the accountability, the discipline, like if let's say you have invasive candidiasis, you know, you have candida tearing up your gut and polluting your system and releasing a bunch of gliotoxin acetaldehyde and, you know, just the havoc that invasive candidiasis and the manifesting brain fog and fatigue and lethargy and all these things. And it's like, okay, maybe I can't like snap my fingers, make all of your trauma go away or make all of your self-limiting belief systems go away or whatever. But if we can just kill off the candida and do an anti-candida 
you know, protocol, wipe that off the map, map like you're probably going to be much more clear and focused and motivated and logical and coherent. So it's going to make that psychological work and everything we're discussing easier. So I look at that as the fun part is like, what's the low hanging fruit that we can kind of just bleep out with our targeted protocols, because then it's going to make that work, the inner work way easier to navigate and overcome. Mm. And it comes back to the very first thing you said, where you rattled off all the systems that are linked that you work on the relationships between. It's like, which system needs the most help? Then what's the best in for us to then start working on the rest? Yeah, that's something I preach a lot is, you know, when like we teach that in the FMHP program, it's like, okay, you do your kind of clinical functional intake. Um, sometimes with holistic and functional, it's like, we're almost working too non-specifically like, oh, well, if you just like, you know, er do earthing and, and walk on the ground with bare feet. And if you gargle for vagal tone and take some fish oil and probiotics and do a couple dietary tweaks, it's going to be like this magical thing. And it's like, well, no, but sometimes to your point, like if we can identify with lab testing, Hey, it's your glucose dysregulation, it's your liver, it's your intestines, it's you know, whatever your, your mitochondria, whatever your nutrient imbalances, if we can like identify something that is a greater in magnitude level of dysfunction and, uh, you know, physiological dysfunction or biochemical or whatever, that then we can uh, really apply very concentrated, precise therapeutic support to, um, you know, you want to work as close to the, the, source of dysfunction as possible, because that's going to have the greatest effect on moving the needle that to your point gives you the in, right? Like we made you feel better. We were able to quickly optimize this. And now you feel a lot better. You're more coherent. You're more with it. So then you find your in now, what, what do we want to work on next? Because, you know, like, I don't know, mold and trauma is something that there's a big overlap with. Like it's, you know, people that have more trauma are more susceptible to mold illness. And, you know, it's this whole thing and it's this kind of back and forth thing. It's like, okay, well, it's going to be kind of hard to like unpack your trauma if you're living in a moldy house and you have mycotoxicosis and SIRS, right? So it's like, maybe we get you out of the moldy environment, you know, clean up the mold in your gut, work on some detox. And then maybe we can talk about like your deep traumas later or something, right? Yeah, because there's a priority. Oh, yeah. I, I, and as someone who had the brain on fire experience three times, I remember um, you're, you're in such an SOS mode that like there's absolutely no point trying to get life coaching at that point. <laughs> it's just absolutely not going to work. And I think you've spoken about this recently where, you know, uh, exactly as you just said, you have to figure out what to work on in the SOS space that will then make the other things that do need work. It's not that they don't, it's just that we need to prioritize. And, you know, my practitioner, when I had a lot going on, she said, okay, let's make a list of all like wish list tests. And then let's have a think about what you actually need right now to test first, because that's $3,000. That's $3,000 we don't have. And so where do we actually start? And um, and a good practitioner will always be able to get you there. But given we've brought up mold, 
Um, and you also brought up leaky brain. Can you just unpack, uh, Brendan, uh, how one would find out one had a leaky brain? Because a lot of people know about leaky gut, uh, but leaky brain, not so much talked about yet. And maybe people haven't come across it. Uh, and what does mold have to do with that as well? Yeah, th those are um, fun connections. And, you know, this is why I'm so passionate about lab testing is I like the objective clarity that it brings. But lab testing is amazingly nuanced. Like people think it's very straightforward. Like you run this test, it measures this, it means this, and then poof. And it's like, actually, it's extremely nuanced. It's ambiguous. And it's never like fully definitive, right? No, it's a snapshot you know, in time as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's transient. It, it's in constant flux, which is why I'm constantly preaching about, you know, we have to stop chasing root causes and chasing baddies and the identification of the presence of a, a baddie, as you put it, we need to be tracking the fluctuations in your physiology, you know, over the course of time, and then correlate that with like, well, what happened in between point A and point B three months later, like this I'm got lying. better, this yeah. got worse. Like, for example, one of my clients, this was like late last year, hadn't seen her for a long time. And because she's a unicorn client, she reached out and she's like, Hey, I think I'm due for some retesting, look under the hood, see how things are moving along. Like she came to me like a good client should that actually cares about her health. Right. And so anyways, I, I run some, some fresh testing on her. And the thing that stood out, I'm like, liver enzymes are a little bit more elevated. So I'm like, how's, uh, how's alcohol intake been since I saw you last, uh, busted, like, oh, actually I've been more stressed and, and I am now you're reflecting it back to me that maybe I was self-medicating a little bit more with alcohol. And you, you caught that because you're monitoring my physiology, right? So it's an accountability tool. It's a clarity tool. And with, um, the, you know, leaky gut, leaky brain, there's so many different biomarkers and tests and some are more established than others, right? Um, le leaky gut testing is, is <laughs> kind of a shit show. There's a lot of really great biomarkers that I think if, you know, elevated or out of range could indicate leaky gut, but they are not direct biomarkers of leaky gut, but they can indicate they can, you know, you can infer based on the analysis Whereas like the standard leaky gut marker that everybody's familiar with is like a fecal zonulin, but actually that's not, it's measuring by ELISA technology zonulin related proteins. It's not measuring what we think it's measuring and its elevation is not an indicator of leaky gut. So much so there's published research that's like, yeah, this faulty biomarker basically just led this field of study astray because we thought it was this, we thought it meant this. Actually, that's not at all like what it is. So we're kind of back to the drawing board on a reliable biomarker of leaky gut, right? So I, I think leaky gut and leaky brain, my point being, <clears throat> there's strong biomarkers that we can use to infer the likelihood and the degree of leaky gut and leaky brain, but there aren't really currently like direct clear markers of that. <clears throat> it's more but about looking at the person in front of you and really taking in the whole picture as to complete that picture. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that with biomarkers that we know what they're reflective of. And so, for example, you know, the, the mental map panel that I designed, which it's not like I created a new biomarker. I took biomarkers that existed and designed a panel, right? So one of the markers, for example, this is a brand new biomarker and I'm, you know, just 
super jazzed about it. I'm looking at buying a machine to measure it myself called neurofilament light chain. And essentially this is a, a marker of neuron damage, brain cell damage. Now the classic argument against measuring biomarkers in the blood is the classic argument is like, well, that can't reflect what's going on in the central nervous system on the other side of the blood brain barrier. Like those are different compartments and parenchyma regions of the body. So you can't measure, like if you measured serotonin in the blood, you can't really say that that serotonin is from your brain or has any reflection of what's going on in your brain because it's just serotonin floating around in your blood. There's similar arguments against things like C-reactive protein, but the literature actually shows that CRP can be used as a surrogate marker of neuroinflammation. Like the higher CRP is in the blood, it causes leaky brain itself in a very sensitive way. So if your CRP is creeping up to three, four, five, six, seven, as it goes up, the likelihood that you have a leaky brain is going up in direct proportion. And that's just good old fashioned CRP. But then with um, like neurofilament light chain, well, where is that thing that we're measuring in the blood? Where's it coming from? It's coming from the brain. It's coming from damaged brain cells. Ah, so, so more... that's where you narrow it down from perhaps yeah. being a heart condition versus a leaky yeah. brain. Got it. It's, it's very, it, that biomarker, it's, it's a literally a protein filament from damaged neurons that we're measuring in the blood. So the greater it is in the blood, we have either maybe more neuron damage or more like spillage from a leaky brain, usually a combination of both. And there are certain things like, um, there are certain conditions or situations that like the time of day, you know, this biomarker is different, higher or lower, depending on which time of day it is. So there's those things you have to take into account, but there are so many really amazing biomarkers that we have access to that I don't think are being effectively used to, to track these, these things. But with like mold, for example, you know, mold exposure, whether it's just huffing in, you know, breathing in mycotoxins and, um, you know, beta glucans and fungal fragments and VOCs and LPS from the environment, or especially when it starts overgrowing within your, your microbiome, like a microbiome fungal dysbiosis or mold colonization, that's where it gets really bad. Cause then it's, it's basically the same situation as like invasive candidiasis where it's, you know, an aspergillus and invasive as, aspergillosis in the gut, you know, and a lot of times those two things go hand in hand. You might have aspergillus and candida and God knows what other species of fungi overgrowing in your gut and breaching the intestinal barrier, causing that leaky gut. And then also now you have all this mycotoxin and pathogen associated molecular pattern translocation that then is circulating up and damaging your blood brain barrier and activating neuroinflammation, opening leaky, like a leaky brain thing. So a big part of like the mental map was actually based around my work and experience with, with mold and, and like mold brain. That's where the panel came from is I was trying to find you know, what biomarkers are going to help me track progress in mold cases because urinary mycotoxin testing worthless for that. Oh, I peed out a lot of toxins this time. Oh, this time I didn't pee out that many. Does that mean I'm cured? Like it's such a, it's such a, even the laboratories that sell mycotoxin testing are very aware of the clinical limitations of their testing. So mold testing is a whole thing. They're trying to like, we need something better than how many toxins you we really out. really do. <laughs> you know because yeah you know some a poor detoxer a poor methylator it might have a shed ton of mycotoxins hanging out in their systems but not be able to pee them out 
because, you know, pee is a detoxing um, mechanism the body has. So, yeah, I totally agree. It's very, very, um, it's crying out for, for something better. Yeah. Yeah. You think about that limitation, uh, you know, and you're paying $400 to see like, oh, am I excreting? Am I not excreting? And, you know, whatever, it's a whole thing, you know, the proper way to analyze it. So for me, I kind of look as like, okay, so let's say we know you're living in a moldy home. We have your ERMI score of 50 and, you know, you feel awful. Um, so for me, it's like, I want to measure, I want to assess the physiology. If that mold is hurting you, I should be able to see it in your serological blood work, you know, there should be indicators of, you know, immune perturbations and inflammation, oxidative stress. And, you know, if it's really hurting you and really hurting your mental health, you would think it's causing more neuronal damage. Like mycotoxins are extremely neurotoxic. So if all of that mycotoxin exposure that you're getting, if it's really, really hurting your body, we should see it. And if it's really hurting your brain, well, we have a reliable biomarker of neuronal damage, right? So that's something, you know, I see is individuals with like more severe mold illness, they do have higher levels of this biomarker that is a biomarker of neuron damage, right? So then as you are, you know, removing the exposure to the mold, reducing the fungal colonization, detoxing them, over the course of time, you should see that biomarker go down as the brain cell damage is going down. So it gives us something tangible that we can track that has value and shows we're moving in the right direction from a neurological perspective, rather than just like how many of these cherry picked mycotoxins did you pee out this time? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's uh, I know a lot of doctors are trying hard to to get it to be a meaningful test for patients, um, but they always it always feels like they also have a bit of an internal caveat going on where they're like, yeah. you know, like yeah. I paid four hundred dollars for for that. Hmm. Oh, this time it was negative. Like, uh oh, what? How do I? How do I? Why do I still feel awful? This? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's a bad feeling. That's a bad feeling as a practitioner when you tried hard to talk them into buying this, you know, four hundred, five hundred dollars thing, and like, oh, did, okay, it doesn't really tell us anything of value, and it doesn't really change anything about what we were going to do anyways. And so then the client patients looking at you like cool. That was a great investment. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and in Australia, we, we have even less access uh, to, you know, some of the half decent tests like the C4A uh, and uh, MMP9. Um, we have to send our P off to America to get those levels um, or, or bloods. And, uh, and that's $1,500 for us. So you have this huge limitation when, I guess what it comes down to when we still have it as a syndrome and not a disease where there's a consensus on, you know, diagnose, treat, cure, uh, which I think is going to be a long time coming. Um, then the testing still remains quite a privilege uh, for a small group of people. Which I think is an important point based on this conversation we're having, because, you know, there's the personal responsibility. We, we address that point pretty efficaciously, I think. But there's, you know, education, right? And the, you know, at least the American government isn't doing shit to educate the public on how to be healthy. Like that's not a thing. No, not right? for us either. It, it's it's the opposite, really. So there is that education, and obviously that's why we do the work we do, and all of our friends and colleagues, like we are trying to put out meaningful education of like we can't say the information's not there. You can't say the education's not there. We're pumping it out now. How do we get you to in integrate it or implement it? 
But to your point, like the accessibility piece, like, yes, you know, in an ideal world, all have access to all the lab testing and it wouldn't break the piggy bank, but that's not reality. So something that even my whole business, which is very lab testing and data centric. Yeah. But it, you know, if they just don't have the financial resources to be paying for lab testing out of pocket, and it's not like they can go cry to their doctor and get insurance to cover something that is not deemed medically necessary. Right. So something I have, we have to coach people on is they want the lab testing. It's like, well, hey, let's not blow your limited budget on data. Like we need to use that budget towards something that is actually going to move the needle. The data doesn't move the needle. The data is very valuable data for tracking progress and identifying, you know, dysfunctional systems and physiology. But ultimately, like, you know, let's say if you have, you have a $2,000 budget, don't blow 1500 of it on just data. Like, Let's take action, right? If yeah. we're effectively coaching people, we should always be reflecting and redirecting to great. What's something we can do right now to move you closer to where you want to be? Because a lot of times I think there's dysfunctional psychology of like, even just by buying lab testing or buying supplements or buying gadgets that can trick you into thinking that you're actually taking steps towards progress. Well, meanwhile, you might not actually be changing anything that's meaningfully moving, moving the needle on your health, but you're disillusioning yourself. You feel well, like you're doing I, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I just yeah, buy yeah. all the gadgets, that's basically like I'm healing myself. It's like, yeah. well, you know, and that's why then I that comes back, back to, like, to pill for real. any of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that was my post today is I was like, hey, let's keep in mind, like, you don't need lab testing to improve your health. You don't need a gym membership to get fit. You don't need a biohacking gadget or, or the supplements like health. Building health is actually really simple and should be kind of free. It could be free or, or you know, a lot like of it to, can. Yeah, a lot yeah, you know happens. what I'm saying. I know what you're so, talking about. Yeah, yeah, like this is the basics. Thing. This is the yeah. basics. Yeah, and yeah, so often we're looking for super complicated things when right. the basics aren't right. And, and maybe are people overcomplicating it as a way to generate maybe like a reason or excuse to justify why they're not doing anything? Oh, well, that didn't work either. You know, huh? I guess I'm mm. just a victim, right? Hmm. And that, yeah, wow, we've come full circle, haven't we? Yeah, victim of <laughs> circumstance. It, it can be yeah. easier to identify as a victim of circumstance than face your self-limiting belief systems or the sources, you know, the root traumas and the root causes of that self-limiting ideology. You know, we're all infinite and immensely powerful, you know, and we have the ability to summon and cultivate our chi, right? So I think people are capable of a lot more than, Maybe they even believe for themselves, which is where they might need a compassionate, empower, empowering, supportive figure to reflect back their strength and their resilience and their tenacity and their intelligence, lift them up. Mm. What a beautiful note to finish on, Brendan. Uh, let's lift each other up. And let's remind ourselves that we have a lot more power than we think, uh, usually, I would say. And that that could actually be the most powerful place to start if you're not feeling so good right now. Brendan, thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.